Well, good morning and welcome. I am Pastor Lori and I am excited to have you guys join us this morning as we continue our series, What a Wonderful World, where we've been taking a look at some of the prophets of the Old Testament and finding the truths that they were sharing in their time and seeing how that is still relevant for us today. Now, as a reminder, the prophets were messengers of God. They showed up throughout scripture to pass along a critical message from God, a message about who he is and about what our purpose should be and how when those two things join together, it reveals the beautiful or wonderful world that God wants to create. The prophets reveal to us the ways that we have missed our calling and our purpose, which means that we are missing what God wants for us. So as they reveal God's truth, they should also be revealing the ways that we might need to tear down or deconstruct our systems and our structures that we've created so that we can reconstruct them into what God intended for the world and for us so that we can become the conduits of his love and of his grace and of his blessing. The prophets invite us to experience God's vision, God's kingdom here and now. And our goal for this series has been to ask ourselves, how are we supposed to respond today to what the prophets have said so many years ago? Now, if you've ever read any of the books of the prophets in the Bible, you probably remember that they contain quite a bit of of challenging and harsh language of judgment and anger. But in this series, we are focusing on the beautiful vision of this wonderful world that lies beneath, underneath that language. And today, as we continue our series, we're going to be looking at the book of Malachi. Now, I want to start with just a little bit of history about this book. And first, I want to tell you that the word Malachi actually means messenger, means my messenger. And this book is one of the 12 books that make up a grouping that is referred to as the minor prophets, which include books like Malachi, like Hosea that Sam taught from last week, and others like Amos and Joel. Malachi is actually the last book of the Old Testament. Uh, It's the last book of the grouping of the minor prophets, but also of the Old Testament. Some scholars have referred to the book of Malachi as kind of a bridge text between the Old Testament and the New Testament because of the way that the final section of Malachi is written. Now, Malachi uses a type of language or communication style that's called diatribe, which the dictionary defines as ironic or satirical criticism or as prolonged discourse. That sounds like a lot of fun, right? Doesn't that sound like a great conversation style for all of us to engage in? Now, how we see this play out through Malachi is through this series of disputes, this back and forth or question and answer format that begins with some truth 
or some scolding that is presented, and then someone objects and, and, and objects by saying things like, well, how can this be true when it doesn't seem like that to me? Or, well, when exactly did we do that? And then the original truth teller responds and basically proves the point, shows the evidence and proves the point. Now, I don't know about you, but as I was looking at this and digging into this, this dialogue reminds me an awful lot of my conversations over the years with my kids when they were toddlers and then later when they were teenagers. Is that just me? Maybe it is. And if you've spent very much time reading the New Testament, you might also remember that Paul, both Paul and James use this same communication style when they are speaking or writing to their audiences. I'm not sure you would necessarily say it's a crowd favorite type of, of communication style, but apparently it's pretty effective. So um, there's that. <clears throat> All right. Let me give you, <clears throat> excuse me, a little context for who this book is written to, who the intended audience is at that time. It is written to the Israelites about a hundred years after they returned from the Babylonian exile. And this message is directed at the people who had been living in Jerusalem, the rebuilt city, after they had returned from their long exile. And things are already not going so well. We're going to see through this text that this is because their hearts and their lives were being shaped by themselves rather than God. The Israelites thought that they would return from their long exile. They would rebuild the temple. And then all of the great promises of the prophets that they had heard over, the, over their life would come true that the Messiah would come and set up God's kingdom and bring justice for everyone. And then everything would be just perfect. This is what they had expected, but that's not what has happened. And so the Israelites become just as unfaithful to God, making some of the exact same mistakes as their ancestors. And in Malachi, we can see just how corrupt and faithless this new generation has actually become. The story is eerily familiar, and it should have been familiar to the people Malachi was addressing because it was the behavior of their ancestors just a hundred years ago, basically three or four generations ago. This is the equivalent of from my children to my grandparents. And isn't that, uh, it, it's not that far removed for such a huge and important life lesson to stick, right? I mean, am I wrong? It seems like something like that would have stuck with them just a little bit longer. The lessons that they had learned, the experience that they had gone through, through the exile. But here we see the equivalent of these great grandchildren upset because they haven't seen what they wanted to see happen in the time that they thought it should happen. And so they start shifting their attention from God and making their own plans. The context is almost too hard to imagine, right? I mean, 
the people of Israel had already been exiled for the exact same behavior. Ignoring the Lord, following other gods, not taking his name seriously. But the Lord had restored them. He brought them from exile. They were home. And here we see them falling back into the same sinful patterns all over again. Okay. So I said the book of Malachi is a series of disputes. There are actually a total of six disputes in this short book. And it starts with this first dispute as this wake-up call or reminder to a group of people that have become pretty lackadaisical in their relationship with God, forgetting about who God is and what that means for them. They are loved. They have always been loved and will always be loved forever. But that is not how we see them acting. Does any of that sound familiar to any of us? Haven't we seen this pattern repeated just throughout God's story? God's children hear the truth. They believe the truth. They live in that truth for a short time. And then they stop listening to the truth. They stop believing the truth. And ultimately, they stop living as if it was true. Wash, rinse, repeat. We've heard this story before. So that's the context of the people in this back and forth that we find throughout the, the, the words of Malachi. Most of the sections begin with God making a claim or an accusation, and then Israel disagrees or questions God's statement, and then God responds with the evidence proving that he was right. Diatribe, the question of, and, and back and forth. In this very first dispute, God is reminding his people of his great love for them. And they quickly, very quickly, object and say, wait, how exactly have you shown this great love of yours to us? So God reminds them of how he has shown his love for them, how he has delivered them, how he has brought them home from the exile. And so right out of the gate here, we can see that Israel is doubting God's love and they're doubting God's faithfulness. They are completely forgetting what they have actually seen with their own eyes and experienced in their own lives of his great love for them. And since they seem to have forgotten that, their relationship to God has become less important or maybe even inconsequential. It doesn't seem that the people have learned the lesson of the exile, nor have they really listened to the prophets that they have heard over the generations. The general impression we get from these disputes or arguments is that the exile didn't really change anything in the people. Israel's hearts are just as hard as ever. And God is calling them out of this behavior and one of the examples that he uses is that he accuses the people of despising and defiling the temple. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's look at some of the verses that Chris read for us earlier. This is Malachi from chapter one. Um, but you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? 
You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? So here, when, when the people ask him what they have done that was so wrong, how have they shown contempt for God's name? And how exactly have they defiled the temple? He responds by saying that he knows that they have been bringing blind, crippled, and sick animals to the temple to offer as their sacrifice. They were bringing the animals, uh, their animals that were of no real value to them, which revealed that they didn't really value or honor God. Their sacrifices weren't actually much of a sacrifice for them, actually. It was like they were just saying the words. It was like they were just going through the motions of the sacrifice of, of the offering that they were bringing and of the offering that they were called to bring. And this is the evidence that God points to throughout Malachi when he says they were making, they were taking his name and his presence for granted. And then God turns his attention and goes on to condemn the priests for not only allowing these types of sacrifices in the temple, but also by particip for participating in these corrupt forms of worship, worship themselves. Even the priests were getting involved in this, this less than sacrificial offering. The priests know what's going on among God's people and they aren't doing anything about it. And that leaves the people, frankly, because the priests are leaders, it leaves the people to think that what they're doing isn't really that bad. How big of a deal is this? Even the priests are doing this and the priests aren't stopping us. So from the top to the bottom, God's people have proven themselves to be faithless here. The priests weren't really sacrificing. The people weren't really sacrificing. They were all just going through the motions. And so they were not really experiencing all that God had intended for them. They took God's name and his presence for granted. And God is righteously angry with the priests. The whole system of sacrifice that had been established to make a way for unclean people to be clean was breaking down because of how the priests were leading the people and what they were allowing. And in addition to that, their sacrifices are intended to be an act of worship toward God, a response to who God is. And this was how they were treating that. There's a whole lot going on in this pretty short book. There's only four chapters actually, but we're gonna focus on just a couple of main points that I wanna highlight and that I want you to hear today. And the first one is this, <clears throat> God's people are failing to bring their best to God and his purposes, which reveals an awful lot about their current relationship with God. Let me say that again, God's people are failing to bring their best to God and his purposes, which reveals a lot about their relationship 
with God. The people are being accused in this dispute of neglecting and disrespecting God's name and God's character by withholding their best and instead bringing subpar offerings. And Malachi proposes two responses to this. He says, first, return to honoring God's name. And second, respect God with your lives and your, and your actions. Malachi, messenger, truth teller, the special messenger of the Lord is telling them to change their behavior by going back to giving their very best to God and living lives that honor God's presence with them. Malachi calls Israel's religious leaders and all of the people of God to lead by word and example. They should be exemplary models of godly living and generosity. And as people of God, this message is for all of us. We are being called to model godly lives and generosity to the world around us. Now, as the book of Malachi goes on, we can see in another dispute, some more back and forth, when God condemns his people for their lack of support for the temple, their lack of care for the temple. And in this dispute, God calls the people to turn back to him. And this prompts the people to say, how can we turn back? It's as if they're saying, actually, we never turned away from you. How could we turn back? So God goes on to point out and confront their selfish behavior. He reminds them of how they've stopped offering a tithe of their income to the temple. Now, the word tithe, you've heard it here. You've heard it if you've grown up around church or been in church very much. You've heard the word tithe, and it means one-tenth. It's the amount of the, of the income and produce that the Israelites were supposed to annually donate to support the temple. We know from, <clears throat> excuse me, we know from Malachi and from another Old Testament book, Nehemiah, that the people had been neglecting this responsibility. And because of that, the temple was falling into disrepair. And God basically is confronting them on this. So the second point that I want to highlight for you today is that God charges his people with stealing from him by withholding this by not, not giving to the thing that they have been told to give to, they are stealing from God. This charge is against all of the people who had been withholding their tithes and offerings. The people are being called to recognize that God had given them everything and that they had been called to be generous with it. And in response to his generosity, God gives it to them, and he has asked them to be generous with it and to respond back to him. And this ties to the larger story of Israel, that they had been set apart and blessed to be a blessing. They were never intended to hold what was never really theirs to begin with. And we, we were never intended to hold what was never really ours. Everything, it all, everything comes from God. And we are supposed to be generous with that blessing. We, as people of God, are called to be the conduit of his love and his grace and his gifts to his children. 
Everything we have is from God. So when we refuse to return to him, even a part of what he has given, we are robbing him. And it says something about our relationship with him. Maybe the people we find in Malachi were just afraid of losing what they had worked so hard to get. But in doing this, they needed to understand that they were misjudging God. They were not trusting God, despite the evidence of God's faithfulness that they had seen, that they had lived in. The people needed to recognize that all they had belonged to God. And if we only give God our leftover time, our leftover money, our leftover energy, or our leftover attention, then we are repeating the same sin. We repeat the same sin as these worshipers who didn't want to bring anything valuable to God or who weren't even bringing anything. But let me say this to you. What we give God reflects our true attitude toward him. These verses describe the people's arrogant attitude toward God. So as we start to wrap up today, I want to challenge you to consider a couple of questions for yourself. Reflect, look at your life and and consider these next couple of questions over the next few days. Where in your life are you neglecting or dishonoring God because you have forgotten that you are completely and utterly loved by him? Where might you be taking his name, his goodness, his presence for granted? Number two, is there a part of your life where you are not fully trusting God? Why are you afraid to trust him with that part of your life? Why are you questioning his faithfulness despite the evidence in your life where he has proven himself to be faithful? Where are you holding back your generosity, your sacrifice, your worship? Why is it that you think you need to keep it for yourself? Is it fear? Is it greed? Is it something else? Is it the state of your relationship with God right now? Where in your life are you just offering God your leftovers? And do you think that could negatively impact your ability to be who God created you to be? In the final dispute in Malachi, the people turn the table and accuse God, saying that it is pointless to serve him. They see wicked, prideful people succeeding, and they don't see God doing anything about it. And God's response for the first time in this book is not a speech, but instead it's a story about the faithful remnant in Israel, the people who fear God. He tells them, He tells of how they love to get together and talk about uh, how, how they honor, how they should honor God and serve him. And so God orders a scroll of remembrance to be written for these people so that they can read the scroll forever and remember God's character and his promises to his people. Malachi is pointing here to the gift that is the scriptures. When we look to the full narrative of the Bible, 
through the books of the prophets and other testimonies throughout scripture, we can easily see the continued faithfulness of God to his people. So reading Malachi and other challenging books with challenging language and harsh language from the Old Testament, like the other books of the prophets, they're not intended to be discouraging. They may look like that on the surface, but really they are intended to be stories of deep and great encouragement for us. We know that God's chosen people, his special priests, they all failed. And the truth is, we all still fail too. But as children of God, we know that he will never fail. He is faithful. Whether we see it in the time frame that we think we should see it in or in the way that we think we should see it or not. The scriptures point us to the past so that we can remember what God has done. And that is meant to inspire faithfulness and hope and generosity as we live our lives in God's kingdom here on earth. So as we close, what does it look like for us to live as God's children in his kingdom here on earth? It looks like always bringing our best to God, offering intentional sacrifices of our time and our money and our attention Sacrifices that actually have value and not bringing whatever is left over of ourselves. One, because we want to respect and honor him and we want, don't want to take his presence for granted. But that also, doing that, allows God to use us as the conduit for his love and his grace and his mercy, playing our part in this wonderful world that he has planned.